Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I'm your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter, copy strategist, and founder of Copyworks. Join me each week as I speak with experts in the fields of marketing, copywriting, decision-making, psychology, and more, all with one goal, to help you attract your ideal customers and inspire them to take action. My guest today is Ryan Gibson. And it's interesting because Ryan was my very first podcast interview guest. And he is my first person that I'm bringing back. And it's with good reason because Ryan is really awesome with marketing interviews because that's his thing. So he has spent 20 years in B2B. He's worked with dozens of entrepreneurs, founders, and businesses of all sizes. And he now runs Content Lift, which is focused on customer research. He says he's interviewed nearly 2,000 people in his career. So he knows a thing or two about how to talk to people. So in today's interview, we're going to talk about how to avoid getting the wrong people on the call to begin with. He also talks about how to avoid starting the interview on the wrong foot, the common mistakes people make in marketing interviews, and how to deal with challenging interview subjects. What happens when they don't give a lot of detail or if they have a poor memory, or even if they're a bit unhappy and possibly even combative. So let's jump right in. All right. Ryan, it's so good to see you. You're my first podcast guest yeah. ever. So it's been about a year. And so you're, now I'm having you back because, nice. yeah, it's just, it's nice because we got to know each other a little bit through LinkedIn and everything. And this topic is just near and dear to my heart because we both interview people for marketing reasons, for you are a yeah, journalist absolutely. and then I... I did content writing. And so I don't know how many people I interviewed. I think you said you, you've interviewed like 2,000 people. Yeah, I'm getting like close to 2,000. That's, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm averaging anywhere between 100 to 120 people a year. Wow. I figured it out on the reporting side. It was soft math, napkin math. I just <laughs> sort of went backwards with how many years I, how many days and years I worked and then how many stories I filed. Okay. So that was that. And then added sort of, over my course as a marketer and then now what I do in my own role. So yeah, it's, it's a napkin math, but it's pretty close. Yeah. So I wanted to get some, some of your best tips because as we both know, and anyone who's ever interviewed a lot of people over time, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And in order to get the best information from your interview, you need to know if it's in chip. So I thought if we could start with maybe just from the beginning, like, how do you, before you even schedule an interview, how do you avoid getting the wrong people on the interview? And we're talking about obviously marketing and marketing perspective. So, yeah, there's a few ways to, to do that. Cause it, it, if you, that happens to you, oh man, like all the dominoes just fall down in the wrong place, <laughs> right? When you get going. The first one for me is you really just have to understand what you want to know. Because not everyone fits, fits for the same research for the same reasons. The things we want to know from customers who have been with us for months, years, are different than someone who wants to buy or, or hasn't bought. Or a, a better way to put it is the things they can tell us and the insights we can glean from them are different. So if I want to know how my onboarding works, I'm not going to talk to someone who isn't a customer, right? Which seems pretty self-evident. But... If I talk to someone who's 
been a customer for some time and I want to ask them about why they chose us, they might not remember and they might not be the person that is the right person to talk to. This happens all the time, a lot when I'm, when I'm fishing for the right person to speak with, I get passed around and say, well, this person oversees that tool. So go talk to them. Or are you sure this is the right person? Uh, maybe you want to talk to this person, but they don't really understand what it is I'm trying to get at. So you always have to make sure that based on what you're trying to understand in your research, you're talking to the right people who can give you the right answers. And there's, you know, it takes some time to figure that out. When you start the interview, so say, okay, you have the right person. What, how do you start out on the right foot? And what are some of the things that can go wrong? Right. And you and I both have stories we can share <laughs> a little bit, but how do you avoid starting? Oh yeah, I, got, I start writing them down because I can give yeah. it to you. I'll tell you how I start. I try to set the stage as best I can. So, because this is an environment where you want them to feel comfortable. You're going to be asking a lot of questions. You're going to be asking a lot of them mentally in a short period of time. So I will usually say something like this. Here's what I want to understand today is what we're going to be talking about. There's no right or wrong answer. I might repeat myself a few times or re-ask a question the same way. That's all by design. So I apologize, apologize if that's a little weird. If I'm not making any sense, please ask me to, to clarify or re-ask. Happy to do that. And it's really just your lived experience today. I, there's no right or wrong answer. So mm -hmm. uh, any questions? And that's it. That sort of just sets the stage. But either before or after that, I'll just talk to them about sort of their role and what they do at the company, all the icebreaker stuff. Yeah. And, and I match their energy because some people are really stoked to talk to you. <laughs> and other people are like, hi, Ryan. Hi, good morning. No, is it okay if I leave my camera off? You're like that sort of thing. And that's fine. They're allowed yeah. to be that way. So you have to sort of understand you have to mirror, the, mirror how they're approaching you and how they're communicating with you. Because if you try to be the opposite of them, mm -hmm. and sometimes that can just, it, it can go the wrong way. Right. So if they don't have their camera on, because you and I've talked about being able to read body language, because that's super important, especially you don't yeah. want the person distracted. They could be looking at the phone while, while they're talking to you. Do you ever suggest they turn the camera on or do you say anything about, you know, be better or... Or do you just leave it? Different people have different thoughts, I find, with researchers around this. Some people are adamant that it should always be on. I am not that. My preference is they're comfortable. Yeah. Because if they're comfortable, they're more, they have a higher propensity to be open with their answers and divulge more things. When I was a reporter, one of the key things you always wanted to do was make them comfortable, unless it was a style of interview where you wanted them to not be comfortable. And that's a different <laughs> thing altogether. <laughs> but your, your job is to, yeah, your job is to, okay, how can I put them in ease? How can I create this environment where they feel like they're, they're going to share, they're in a safe space and that I'm not, I'm not like probing them or interrogating them. It's really just a conversation. So if they feel more comfortable with the camera off, I'm good. The trick there is though, you really have to listen. And it's, if you're a person who can get distracted easily, which a lot of us are, the, the onus is on you as the person asking questions to ensure you're focused on those answers. Cause yeah, you're missing some of the cues from facial expressions. Cause you only have what you and I will see right now, which is sort of torso to eyes and head, you know, and maybe some hand movement. When you're interviewing someone in person, you have more, you can read off their body language. 
there's little less in this context. There's still some you can use, but then if there's no visual cues whatsoever, you're really just relying on your auditory senses. So you really have to focus and listen. That's, that's where it's critical. Where it's fine. I've had interviewed discovery calls with, you know, like a team. And what's interesting too, when you can see everyone mm. is the way they interact with each other. And cause I've had this happen where it was almost yep. like these people worked together for so long. You could tell that it was, some, there's some undercurrent of arguments in the past over whatever the question was that I had asked or something. So that's sort of interesting. And we've talked about, you know, some of the, the difficult people that you can get. Tell me about like some of the things that can happen on interview that could be challenging. Like you started by saying the person who doesn't turn their camera on. And even though we know not to ask yes, no questions, but if they give really short answers and you know that there's more there to dig into, how do you do that? Yeah. Let me start with the short answers first, because that's some, sometimes the actually easiest one to deal with. There's a few reasons people are curt or less forthcoming in their answers. One is they just might be introverted, right? And it's just, this is a lot for them. Maybe they, they, they didn't want to necessarily, it wasn't their choice to be here. They're just doing a favor, whatever, right? And it's really hard for them to have one-to-one dialogue in this sort of context. So they keep it short. Other reasons are sometimes people often are worried about overloading you or they just don't remember or they don't remember yet because you haven't actually gone through a process of letting them access their memories. One of the terms we use in research is called recall. And that's like your ability, in short, it's your ability to recollect what transpired in past events. Mm-hmm. And depend. that's why I talked about like before with timelines, depending on how far back a series of events was, it's harder for people to instantly recall things, instantly bring back scenarios. So one of the techniques we use is we warm them up into that environment or we we set things to timelines. Investigators do this work or the, approach it this way all the time. If you listen to like a lawyer or detective and how they engage someone, it's very much foundationally ingrained in timelines and events that happened in synchronicity. So they, what did you do here? Okay, then what happened? Okay, then what happened? Why'd you do that? Okay, well, when you did that, what happened after that? And what you'll find is if you start applying this with people, when you get to about 20 minutes into an interview, answers that were short and maybe not forthcoming start to expand. And they'll say things like, I just remembered this. Let me go back. I want to tell you this thing. So there's all sorts of reasons why people might be short in their answers, right? For challenging ones, just to start off, and we can sort of riff from there. uh, Sometimes I've got ones where I've gotten the wrong person. I had the wrong information open on my lap on my computer and i thought i was talking to one person at one company because the names are similar and for like the first five minutes i could see they thought i was insane and i was like i could so i said i'm sorry are my questions not resonating he's like well no i don't know none of these questions apply to me and i looked at their name and then i looked on zoom and then their last name like it was the f- same first name but the wrong last name and i was like oh man because this is all I do, right? So sometimes I got mixed up. So I had to, I had to walk that back and eat some humble pie there and apologize profusely. Uh, another one that happened, I, I'm, I'm actually, I pulled up the transcript before we, we talked. It was a software company. We were talking to a user and about halfway through the conversation, you could tell they were very upset as we were, me and the product marketing manager who was with a software company at the time were walking through the scenarios of, 
the use cases and why they use the product. And they said something that I'll read to you. And the last time I had to deal with this one issue that involved a phone call, sharing a screen, and I don't ever want to do that again. And I thought that was a strange answer. And I, my brain was like, oh, there's probably just some challenges around them having access to technology or something. So I asked them, like, what's challenging about that? And they responded, well, this was the second time this happened, and they didn't hang up the phone, and they made comments about me that were very unprofessional. I heard everything, and I'm very upset about it. And they were referring to my client's colleagues on the sales team, right? Wow. So it's like now we're at a moment where this customer of theirs is really upset. They never told anyone, and we're trying to do research. So in that moment, you're just very human, and you have to like, we're so sorry that happened. Please let us can you expand? We want to understand all the details and, and let, so we can fix it and make sure this never happens again. It turns into like a customer success call, right? So those are some areas where you like, you just sort of get tripped up with researching and they're not expected. Anything to do with or any suggestions for someone? I've had this happen where people are not only abrupt, but they're really in a rush. And, you know, we've talked about how yeah. it takes a while to kind of get into someone's frame of mind, like you were talking about following their lead as far as their tone and maybe their tempo. And if you don't even have time to do that, and like, oh, because I had this happen with a woman recently, she's like, okay, first I want to know who you are, what this is about. She was this high-powered executive. Um, and I just backed off and said, you know, what it was for. One thing I have found along those lines when I tell people that they will not be quoted, that this is just for my own knowledge, that seems to help. Sometimes they're like, well, I, you know, is it going to get back to my bosses? Because then they're not going to speak freely either. But if you have someone who just is almost like borderline combative, like what do you do with someone like that? Oh, yeah, that's a tough one. Everything I do is mo is a lot mostly anonymous, right? Um, and you know, I'm very selective with what I show publicly. Nothing is public, but even to clients, I'll sometimes be selective about what they see. Combative is tough because it's it's hard to be able to do much in that environment. To be honest, you know, when I was a reporter, it was different because. If it was on me from an editorial perspective to get a quote from a source, you know, I'm talking to a politician, they're combative. Well, I have to keep pressing, right? Because there's probably yeah. something, you know, they're, they're, we have to sort of get something from them. But that's a different environment. Here, this is not what we want. We don't want to spend our energy on people that are not going to bring value for us and then for the, our customers, which is really why we're doing this. So I often, I'll know within the first five, 10 minutes if, this is going to not probably be a fruitful conversation. That's just experience though, Linda. Like you just sort of build those chops, right? So yeah. what I will do is I will scratch out everything that is not relevant. Like it might've been just sort of some discovery or it's not as pressing in the priorities of what we want to know. And I'll just break it down to like two things. And I'm like, and I'll say, and I, I, I won't suggest that they're in a rush, but I'll see, I just want to make the best use of your time here. Cause you know, I, I understand, you know, we're all strapped these days. I just want to focus on these these last two things and then I can let you go, right? And sometimes they'll keep talking. Sometimes yeah. they'll be, yeah, okay, good. <laughs> and then you sort of, what I suggest though to people is you just move on, you find someone else and you move on, right? Because it's, there will be, there's plenty of fish in the sea for this and you can, you can go find someone that will actually want to have that discussion with you. But it's tough, combative is tough. And I, I always advise don't waste a lot of energy with those, with that type of persona. And what about along the same lines with an unhappy customer? So maybe you want to know what went wrong. How does that usually go? I mean, can, is it, it must even be hard to get them on call. 
Because if they're not happy, they're like, why am I going to help out this company? Yeah. There's two situations, right, where that sort of unfolds. One is when I have conversations and they know it's been a poor experience and they want insight into that. And then there's ones where you're blindsided by the poor experience. And that wasn't part of the initial like a brief in which when we had the discussion with the clients. So the first one, when you want to know a poor experience, that's easier to get those people to your to your question because how we frame it is we have had some challenges. We've made some errors in order. We, we want to improve our process. We really want to get this right. Can we speak to you about your experience, how we can improve, how we can do better for you and, and our other customers, like that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Because then it, what's interesting is when you, I've done this a few times, and when I ask questions around that, like what are some of the things that we can, are, that company X can do better? They'll say this, and they're they're pointing to the co- they're referring to the conversation between my, me and their customer. I'm so happy they're actually talking to me, hey, and getting my feedback on how they can improve. Which people really respond positively about when they've invested money and resources into a service or product, and if it doesn't go their way, they want their voice to be heard. So that's actually a really positive environment. The flip side, when you get blindsided, that's the challenge because. I've had that happen where I'm going in for a research interview. I'm trying to understand things around copy, content ideas, um, how they buy, triggers. And then all of a sudden, they're really pissed at the product. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, service. And I'm like, uh-oh. So there's the challenge with that is that then it becomes a venting session and I can't tell them no because that wouldn't be, it's not my place. Mm-hmm. I have to let them vent. They have the right to do that, right? And the challenge, it eats up all the time. So, because you only have so much time. And I always say in these environments, when you're talking to a customer or buyer, every minute is, is counts. Right. So I let them vent and I usually say, I'm really sorry to hear that. That sounds very frustrating or challenging or whatever. Right. And I mean, I, I've been in B2B for 20 years and I was on the customer facing side for half that career. So I can appreciate that. And I'll say, I, I, unfortunately, I'm not the person that can handle this right now. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to speak to this person, this person who I work with, and I'll ensure that all these comments get addressed and this is recorded and this will be shared with them as well. It's tough in that environment. So that's why it gets back to the original point, like how do you find the right people? You do your due diligence in the beginning because as best you can, because if most, most customer success teams or sales teams will know when there is someone that there's been an issue with, right? Because that's part of their role is to deal with those things. And I'll say that when we're, we're in our sort of kickoff calls around who we want to talk to, I say, do you want me to talk to people that have only a positive experience? Or do you want me to talk to people who've had, you know, some challenges with your product or service? And then mm-hmm. we go from there. Because if you get blindsided, it's challenging, right? But right. you have to, at least in that moment, sort of finish my thoughts, you have to be very human and, you know, at least let that person just vent, as I said, because otherwise it's just, you're not yeah. doing a favor to them or anyone else. And that could be the really good information too. From a copy standpoint, when people, it, is. Ask, it always yeah. is. Yeah. 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 Cause you have to know, but I always ask people what, well, if it's a new client, as far as copy, I'll ask them, you know, have you worked with other copywriters and what had gone wrong with that? Why you're not working with that person anymore? And so I make sure I don't do that. And the other is it just past experiences. Like if I'm actually writing, you know, the copy for them and then I want to know what find out what their competitors are doing, what their competitors are doing wrong. And so I can weave that into what 
this company's doing right. And so mm-hmm. it all kind of comes together in that way. So, well, do you have any like a, a handful of tips for how, how to have a, a successful marketing interview, like some of the basics? What would you say? So revisit the first thing I said, which have an objective, right? Have a point and a rationale of why you're talking to them. And how I define that is, what is it we want to know? Who do we want to know it from? And what are we going to do with that information? It's sort of a three-part equation. And it sounds so trite, but it's, it's, it sets the stage for success so early on. So that'd be the first one I have. The second is have all your list of topics and, you know, really good, strong questions in front of you. You don't need a thousand questions. Two is not enough. Don't improv. Because what's going to happen is you're going to get, you are going to get lost in your own train of thought. Mm-hmm. It's totally going to happen. And even I still do this, right? And then, like I said, I'm almost at 2000 interviews and is all I do for a living, but it's so easy to get lost in where you are in the conversation because you're the quarterback of it as a researcher. Right. You're the guide. Your job is to keep everything on track and make sure you hit everything because I've seen it. I, I've, Seeing people walk away from interviews or even myself in the early days where I had all these things that I wanted to know. And then when I go back and listen to the tape or rewatch the recording, we hit on like two of six things <laughs> because it felt good to talk and we're chatting, right. we're vibing <laughs> and like, yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Like you want to, <laughs> but you still need all those insights and intelligence for what you're trying to get accomplished in the business. So it's a balance between all those things. So have all those questions, topics to your side, because what I do is I'll just, I mark them off because sometimes people will, you'll ask them directly, Linda, or sometimes there's something you want to know and they just sort of organically move into it. And you're like, oh yeah, I want to know that. And let's go off the list. Like it's, that keeps so much control and rigor in the process. So that would be the second one I would, I would say. And then just from a post interview, it's a small one, get everything transcribed. Again, sounds so small and marginal, but if you, I'm sure you do this, like you try to watch a video and you end up like rewinding it like six times when someone yeah. said something you're like, okay, that was good. What did they say again? What did they say again? Yeah. The transcripts help you just read and listen at the same time. And then what I can also do is as I have go back to my objectives, I can see everything that fits in that objective and I highlight it. Perfect. Yeah. So then I have to start to have what they call, it's called, uh, I summarize it in qualitative research, they call it codifying. Mm-hmm. So what that means is, I mean, it's extracting all these really great things, these nuggets of, of answers, and I'm sort of summarizing them, you know, something that I can synthesize into an action for the business. It's, mm-hmm. That's the process of codifying. If you don't have that transcribed, trying to like listen back to all these audio recordings or watch these video recordings, and you maybe have six or seven of them and try to make sense of it, write stuff down. No. It's going to take you forever and you'll miss stuff. Yeah. So those are the three things what I would do, right? They sa- like, yeah, they sound small, but it's those, those things that set you up for success down the line. One of the things that helps me, like with what you said for your third point, is I have a program that I use that I'll take the entire interview transcript, post it on there, and then I'll categorize like, for me, it's so it's copy. It's like the challenges and pain points. I might highlight them in different colors. There's a really good quote. I'll take that out, like quotes that I want to use. Sometimes quotes end up in headlines because they're so good. And sometimes when the person's saying something, I'm like, this is like golden right here. And you kind of know. And you have a um, course or program. Can you talk about 
about that? I know you just started. It's pretty new. One right? of the things when I, it is new. And when I started Content Lift, which is the name of my uh, research agency, my, my research firm of one, w- there was two, two things that bubbled up when I did my own research. And one was the, the two sort of use cases or po- challenges that research marketers faced, researchers faced, product marketers faced. Some said, okay, we need help and we need someone, we would love for someone to go do this and, and research. And I do that for companies. The other one was we would never want to have anyone talk to our customers for us. We think that's too important. And I agree with that, actually. Like, I think that mm-hmm. is very important. You should talk to your own customers, but we, we have a bad process or we want to get better. Right. So teach me how to fish for me or teach me how to fish. So my course, which I call how to run customer research interviews that don't suck, a DIY guide is the teach me how to fish version of that. Right. It's, it's just everything I do. What we just, a lot of that we just talked about and mm-hmm. taking through the steps. Cause one of the, one of the challenges I've always found, I don't know if you found this, but when you look at a lot of the methodologies for research out there, they're very academic, but they're very dense in one of the most Famous ones, it's called Jobs to Be Done, which is an innovation framework. And a lot of marketers, product marketers and product managers lean into it. But it can be really hard to get your head around. Yeah. And I didn't want any of that. I just wanted something very simple, very straightforward, a very like pragmatic process because complexity is not your friend in B2B in the beginning stages or even for most, the most part, generally speaking, simplicity is your friend. So I wanted something that was very accessible and some, and straightforward. So you can actually go through these steps and then spit something out at the end. You can action the business very quickly. Like you just said, sometimes it's like the headlines mm-hmm. where you'll take quotes and put them in headlines. And I've done the same thing. So how do you, but how do you get to that? Right. right. So that's why I built the DIY guide because it's really just step by step, everything that I would do and I've been doing for years. And it's just sort of laid out bare for people. So that way they can just go learn it and they don't have to pay me a lot Gosh, of money to go to a board. <laughs> that's awesome though. I yeah. think it's really helpful. Yeah, well, gob, I don't know gobs. Like there's, there's some people. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. There, I mean, there's some people who do research that I do and it's in like the double six figures for like fortune 1000 companies, right? I'm not there yet, but it's, it, it's not a cheap investment for many companies. It's out of reach, yeah. but it's so vital, right? Because right? it, it just, I always say research is what makes you, it saves you money. Right. Rather than think of it as spending money because it just it shows you where you need to put your resources and time. Exactly. Well, great. So where can people find that and where can they connect with you if they want to find out more? LinkedIn is always the best way to get me. I live yeah. there too much. And contentlift.io is my website and the course is there. And I'm always happy. I answered a lot of questions. So please, anyone who has a question, please feel free to reach out. I'm always around. Always happy to help how I can. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today, Ryan. I really appreciate it. It's been very helpful. And yeah, thanks again. That wraps up today's episode. I hope you found it as fun to listen to as it was for me to record. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review and be sure to subscribe. And for additional info, visit my website at thecopyworks.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.